If you've got a Bible, you could turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians chapter 4. We're finishing, kind of landing the plane on our Prioritize series this week. We've been taking a look at our core values over the last six weeks, and this is the final one today. Um, as we come to land the plane on this series in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, as we talk about prioritizing a plurality of leadership within the life of the church, a plurality of leaders. Right, that's one of the things at the core of who we are, of our identity as a church, and so we want to look at that today from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if, you've, if you're there, good, you can read with us. If not, it'll be on the screen for you as I read it today. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when it says He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church, I don't know if, whether you realize it or not, uh, God is always at work in the world. Whether you recognize it, whether you're sensitive to it or not, He's always at work. In John chapter 5, Jesus has an interesting encounter with some of the religious leaders of his day. And they essentially rebuke Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. Because in their mind, Jesus is now working on the Sabbath. And there's not to be any work done on the Sabbath. So they rebuke him. And Jesus says, I'll see your rebuke and raise you one of my own. And in John chapter 5, in verse 17, Jesus responds to their rebuke by saying, My father is working until now. And I am working. In other words, throughout human history, Jesus says, the Father's always been at work. From from the creation of the world, God has been active and involved. So we we are not deists. We don't think that God kind of set everything into motion and then stepped back and said, let's just see how it all pans out. Right? Rather, He is active, He's involved, He's constantly pursuing, He's constantly at work. And Jesus says, now that I'm here, that work is being funneled through me. I'm here as the representative of the Father, as the one who is the exact representation of the Father, the, the, the exact 
replication of the divine imprint is on my soul and I'm working now that I'm here. You know, and so as we think about what Jesus says here about the Father always being at work, He's at work every day whenever you wake up. Right? He didn't stop working whenever Jesus came, right? but He's still at work. And so every day when you wake up, He's at work in your life. And He's at work in the lives of all those who are around you. He's at work to save. He's at work to sanctify. In other words, He's wanting to redeem people and rescue them out of their own foolishness and sin. He wants to draw them into relationship with Himself. He's wooing people. He's redeeming people. He's bringing healing in the lives of individuals. Sometimes physical healing. Sometimes emotional healing because of things that they've experienced. Spiritual healing. He's bringing all kinds of healing in people's lives. He's transforming people into the image of Christ. He's renewing relationships, healing marriages, bringing home prodigals. He's tapping people on the shoulder, drawing them to Himself. God's always at work in the world, whether we recognize it or not, to heal, deliver, renew, transform, and equip. And Jesus says, God's doing that work through me. Fast forward in John's Gospel, and you get to John chapter 14, and you see not only is God always at work in the world, but He's at work in the world through His people through those who are his own listen to what he says in john chapter 14 and verse 12 he says truly truly jesus says, i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works i do that i do and greater works than these will he do because i am going to the father and then on the heels of that jesus says when i go to the father someone is coming to you the holy spirit i'm going to pour out upon you and whenever he pours out the holy spirit upon us He empowers and equips us to be involved in the very works that He has been doing. So God's always at work from the foundation of human history. That work gets gets, gets funneled down through the person of Jesus. And when Jesus ascends, He says, when I go to the Father, I'll pour out the Spirit. The Spirit will empower and equip you to do the very works that I've been doing. And that ascension that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 14 is what the Apostle Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4. When he says that He ascended... Or he descended, released captives, and ascended, and he gave gifts to men. So when Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he's writing about that very ascension that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 14. And when the Spirit's poured out, it would be poured out upon God's people so that God's people would now declare the words of God and they would do the works of God in the world. That God would now work through his people, and Jesus says they would do even greater works. Than I. Now, Jesus isn't speaking and saying, hey, listen, I did some pretty miraculous stuff. You're going to do more miraculous stuff. It's not what he's talking about there. He's not saying they're going to do more miraculous types of works, but they're going to do more numerable works. Think about of all of God's people throughout all of human history whom the Spirit has been poured out upon. Okay, they're going to do more numerable works than Jesus could in his 33 years here on earth. They're not going to be a greater of quality, but greater in quantity, okay, as God continues His work through the world, as He works in the world through His people. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, one of the ways God's continuing that work in the world of empowering and equipping, the Holy Spirit's doing that work, but He's doing it through human leadership in the life of a local church. That God's giving gifted people in the life of a local church to equip the saints, to do the work of ministry. And so God has given gifted individuals to each church in order to build them up, in order to encourage them, see them mature. 
Right, and no, it's no different here for us at Redeemer. God is still at work, and He's at work through His people. He wants to be at work through you. Do you know that? If you're in this room this morning, God has empowered, and you're a Christian, God has empowered and equipped you, and He wants to be at work in your life and through your life to do the works of God, and can you convey the words of God to a lost, broken, and hurting world? That's God's desire. See, some of us hear stories about how God has been working in the lives or through the lives of other people. And we say, I wish God would work through my life that way. You know what? God wants to work in your life and through your life in that way. So this morning, I want you to think about, to kind of remove the, the boundaries and barriers that you may have. Think about, well, God would never use me to do something like that. Because God desires to use each of us who are born again believers in Jesus Christ who he has given gifts to and empowered with his Holy Spirit to be at work in the world doing his work continuing his work do you believe that this morning church but through in the context of each local church though he's given leadership in order in order so there may be order in the church and they might equip those to do these works of ministry and here at Redeemer, we, we talk about two offices of, of leadership within the life of the local church. We talk about elders and deacons. Okay, so we, we've done sermon series on both of these offices in the past. You can go back and look those up in our archives if you missed them. But essentially, elders are those that God has gifted and called in order to pastor, in order to shepherd, in order to teach, in order to lead, guide, feed, defend, and protect the church. Okay, that's their role. And he's given deacons in order to organize and facilitate and administrate practical ministries in the life of the church. So elders or pastors are like shepherds, lead, guide, feed, and protect deacons or task-specific servants who organize teams of people to conduct practical ministry in the life of each local congregation. So those are the two offices that we have here of leadership within the life of the church. Okay, and so when we talk about God giving plurality of leaders, okay, this is what He's given us. He's given us elders and He's given us deacons in the life of the church. Now listen, that's not to say that, that elders never organize something or that elders never serve in some kind of way. And it's not to say that deacons will never teach or counsel someone. But broadly speaking, elders are those who speak the words of God, and deacons are those who organize and plan the works of God so that the church can be full and mature and bring glory to Jesus. You with me so far? All right. So, there's a plurality of leaders in the life of the local church. And in this text, in Ephesians 4, this morning, what I want us to look at is this one observation, all right, that I think is going to help, help us understand this plurality of leadership that God has given. And then four reasons why it's at the center of the local church. One of our core values that we would consider it so highly that it make one of the top six things that we're committed to as a church and shapes our identity. Okay, so one observation, four reasons. Observation. This one's not going to be on the screen. So if, you want to, if you're a note taker, it's not going to be up here. Just write it down. I'll say it really slowly. God has given a plurality of leaders to the local church. God has given a plurality of leaders to the local church. Look in verse 11 with me. 
of Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 11, we see that God has given a number of gifted individuals or persons to the church. In verse 11, it says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So He lists out these individuals, these gifted persons that God has given to the church. First of all, He says He gave apostles. Apostles were those who were appointed by Jesus. They were those who had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and eaten with Jesus and traveled with Jesus and sat under Jesus' teaching, received Jesus' instruction. They were those who had seen Jesus in His resurrected body. They had eaten with Him there on the beach. Or the Apostle Paul who sees Him in His, his resurrected body as He appears to Him on the road to Damascus. So these were the apostles. And they were like pioneers of ministry that God gifted the local church with in its infancy in order to, to secure it in the gospel that Jesus had preached and that Jesus had taught. So they could have eyewitness accounts of what Jesus had done. So they were pioneers in this. Now listen, there is no longer an office of apostle in the local church. I do not believe that office still exists. Because there's... I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nobody in here who had dinner with Jesus last night, like physically sitting there in your dining room, okay? If you did, I'd love to visit with you about that. That'd be really cool, right? But there's no longer any of those who had eyewitness accounts of Jesus in His resurrection body, okay? So the office of the apostle is no longer existent. Now, there may be people who have that pioneering type of a spirit and gift who want to see kingdom work advance to the fringes, of where Christ has not been named, where Christ has not yet been known. But that's not, that's not an office of apostle. That's just an entrepreneurial type spirit that wants to see kingdom work advance in places where Jesus is not yet known and worshipped. But God gave apostles to the church in its infancy in order to secure it and lay a foundation that would be grounded in the gospel. And he also gave prophets. Now, the New Testament prophets were different from Old Testament prophets. In the sense that New Testament, Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Habakkuk and Amos okay, and, and Obadiah and all, some of these other ones that we like, man, I didn't even know that one was in there, tucked away somewhere. okay, right? But all these Old Testament prophets, they would speak in ways and they would say, thus saith the Lord. In other words, God has communicated revelation for His people to hear through the channel of this prophet, and it was written down for their instruction. But in New Testament, in the New Testament, the office of the prophet uh, is, is essentially likened to the office of the apostle, because the apostles were the one receiving revelation from God, writing it for the church's instruction. But prophets were those, the gift of prophecy, which I personally believe continues to this day, not the office of prophet, thus saith the Lord, but the gift of prophecy, of receiving instruction from God, and insight from God into things that you, you would not have known otherwise, and being able to share that with others as an encouragement to them or a warning to them. Right? But you're always going back to Scripture and testing that, because it's not going to speak in ways that are contrary to Scripture. But God has given apostles and prophets. He's given evangelists. Evangelists were literally good newsers. Okay, there are people who were gifted with the ability to persuasively and powerfully communicate the gospel. 
Okay? And so people responded to their preaching as they talked about God's work in the world through His Son. He had shepherds, those who cared for and counseled the church. They were pastors who would guide and protect and defend the church. You had teachers in the church who were gifted by God to open the Scriptures. And as they opened the Scriptures, they would bring the Word of God to bear upon the life of the church and the lives of individuals in a way that God's Word was clearly understood and people knew what they needed to do with it. They could respond to it. Okay? And so you got, God gave all these gifted individuals to the church. But one thing that I want you to notice from this list is this. That as gifted as the apostles were, they were not enough. If they would have been enough, God wouldn't have given evangelists and teachers. The prophets were not enough. The evangelists were not enough. The shepherds and teachers, they were not enough. But rather, there was a plurality of leaders in the life of the early church that were necessary for the church's well-being. You know, one of the things that means for you and I is this. And listen, I'll just say it real clear. I am not enough. I'm not. Our elders... As much as I love them and would go to and love being in the trenches with them, we are not enough for the health and welfare of the church. Our deacons, as faithfully as they serve, they are not enough. God has given a plurality of leaders in the life of each local church for the welfare and sake of that congregation. God gives a plurality of leaders to the local church. I hope that's clear to you from this text. So, four reasons why this particular issue is at the heart, one of the issues at the heart of our church, or the identity of our church. In other words, why do we prioritize a plurality of leaders? Let me give you four reasons. First of all, leaders multiply ministry. Leaders multiply ministry. In verse 12, we're told that the purpose for which God has given gifted people to the church, listen, is not so that they can, that everyone else can look at them and be like cheerleaders on the sideline, right? You got pom-poms, and you got little stunts you're doing, and you're holding people up, and they're leading cheers on the sideline. That's not why God has given gifted individuals to the church, gifted leaders to the church, He's not giving gifted leaders to the church so that those individuals can monopolize ministry opportunities. God has given gifted individuals to the church. He's given gifted leaders to the church so those leaders cannot monopolize ministry but multiply ministry as they do what they've been called to do, which is equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, so they're equipping others to serve in capacities that God has gifted them to serve in according to the measure of grace that Christ has given to them as He gave them a gift. As He ascended, the Spirit came down, was poured out upon the church to empower and equip that God's working through those leaders in order to equip the saints to do what God has gifted and called them to do. See, each of you, each of you, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, You've received a gift from God that's to be used for the upbuilding of the church, 
for the wholeness of the body. Paul speaks of it that way in 1 Corinthians when he speaks about the body having many members, many parts to it, so that they have eyes and ears and hands and mouths and feet and, and all these pieces of the body work together for the sake and welfare of the body. They serve the body. And God's given all kinds of gifts in the church. Don't think that in the same, many of the lists in the New Testament, I don't think are exhaustive lists. I think they're exemplary ones. And I think the, gift, the list of spiritual gifts is, is similar to that. Right? Yes, there are people who are gifted with mercy and people who are gifted with hospitality and people who are gifted with teaching. People who are gifted uh, as, 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 with, with the gift of leadership or administration. You have all these types of gifts within the body. But just because something that you are good at isn't listed in that list of gifts in Romans or in 1 Corinthians doesn't mean that it can't be used in service of building up the church for her sake and for her welfare. But each of us, God has gifted in unique ways to serve the body. And it's the role of those who are in leadership not to say, we are going to monopolize all the ministry opportunities and everything's got to be channeled through me. But if you're a leader in this church, one of the reasons God has ordained that, He's installed you into a place of leadership, whether it's an elder or as a deacon, is in order for you to not monopolize ministry, but multiply it and equip others to do the job that you're doing and perhaps we'll do it even better than you do it someday see I, I would love if there were men in our church who would rise up and they would be better preachers than I am one day it wouldn't take much okay but they'd be better preachers of God's word than I am one day they'd be better counselors than I am one day they'd be better elders than I am one day whether they be in this church or be sent out to plant other churches within our community or across our nation and if you're leading an area of ministry, your aim should not be in, to, to keep all the ministry opportunities for yourself, but to see others raised up to say, hey, they could take my job one day. And that would be a good thing because they might do it better than I do. And I could move on and sink my teeth into something else and help develop and build another area of ministry in the life of the church. See, God has given a plurality of leaders in order that leaders might multiply ministry. Second of all, not only so that leaders can multiply ministry, but that members can reach maturity. Members can reach maturity. Look, the language Paul uses in verses 12 to 16 is riddled with images of maturation, of growing up. Look, in verse 12, he says, he says, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 15, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. In verse 16, it's, it's Jesus that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In verse 14, we're told that God is working in this way through the church so that we would grow up so that we may no longer be children. And listen, I want you to know something. When Paul says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. What Paul is doing is something phenomenal there. Paul is including himself in the category of individuals who still needs to mature. You know what that tells me? That tells me that no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, that there is still room for maturation in your life. No matter how 
powerfully you've been used by God, there is still room for maturation in your life. There is still room for growing up in your life. No matter what position or office you might hold in the church, there's still room for maturation and growth in your life. If the Apostle Paul can say, we, I, need to grow up, then surely we can say that of ourselves, can't we? That I still have room to mature. See, appointed leaders in the church will help Members of the church come to know and love Jesus more and more. As Paul says in verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And that, see, that maturation happens this way, that as we learn more of Jesus, we come to love Jesus more. And as we learn more of Jesus, we come to love Jesus more. And as we love Jesus more, we're growing up slowly, progressively, into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So we look more like Him because we love Him more as we learn more about Him. So we're learning, loving, looking. Learning, loving, looking like Jesus as we mature so that we wouldn't be children. In fact, that word there in the Greek, it literally is the word for infants. Right? And there's several ways that infants need to mature. Some of you are keenly aware of that right now in your home. Several ways that infants need to mature. First of all, they need to mature in discernment, don't they? Right, this is one of the reasons we baby-proof homes. Because a kid doesn't know whether or not a picture of something sitting under the cabinet is Kool-Aid or liquid plumber, okay? They don't know if it's a sweet sugary drink or poison. They don't have any discernment. They'll drink anything. They'll take anything in. They'll ingest it, right? And listen to what Paul says here. He talks about the maturity that, we are, that he desires for us to have. He says that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by, way, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, that we would no longer fall for the cunning of the enemy, the distortion of truth, the manipulation of doctrine. Brother, we'd be grounded in it. It's one of the ways in which we need to mature is through our discernment to know that what we're tasting or what we're taking in is actually good for us or if it will lead to decay and destruction in our lives. So we need to mature in discernment. Another way that we need to mature, another way that we need to mature is in the area of our self-centeredness. Now listen, I don't know if you've, those of you who haven't had babies in a while, I'm not trying to beat up on babies, all right? But babies are incredibly self-centered. You ever recognize that? All they think about is themselves. Right? When they're laying there in the crib at night and they wet themselves or they're hungry, they don't look over or in the bassinet, you know, right before we move them to the crib in their own room, they're in the bassinet, they don't look over and see mom and dad just resting peacefully at sleep and go, I'm just going to wait until they wake up. Well, no, what do they do? They cry the top of their lungs and it awakes you out of your slumber. Okay? And so, um, if, you're, maybe, if you're a good dad, you roll out of bed, you go change the diaper, get everything ready, you bring her over to, to mom, mom feeds her, pats her, or him, puts him back to sleep, all right? So that's, that's, the, re that's the reality. Babies don't wait. They don't look over and go, you know what? I see dad really enjoying that book right now, or that tell I'll just wait until he's done, 
for that chapter or that episode. No, they're incre- all they think about is their own needs in that moment. And listen, listen, spiritual infancy. The Bible says that whenever we come to faith in Christ, we are born again. In fact, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that we are to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it we may grow up. Okay, And so early, early on, oftentimes in our spiritual infancy, everything's about us. See, in, our, in spiritual infancy, one of the things we recognize is that oftentimes there are some people who are more of a ministry than they are a minister in those seasons of their spiritual infancy. But as you mature, listen, we all continue to receive ministry. That's why no one individual is sufficient for a local church because you're ministering to me as I'm ministering to you. But listen, as you mature... And you continue to receive ministry, you begin to give ministry. That's another thing. Infants are takers, they're not givers. Right? They're, they're consumers, not contributors. But as you mature and you move through that, past that self-centeredness and you begin to look at others through the lens of love, in fact, you begin to build others up out of love. Paul says in verse 16, the body's being built up as we love one another well. In order to love others, listen, if your lenses have to shift from me, myself, and I to they and them and there. It's a marker of maturity. And God has given gifted individuals in the life of the church to help us look outside of ourselves, to help us become more discerning. Listen, on Sunday mornings now at 9.15, we're working our way through the book of Galatians. We had a great crowd last week, a great crowd this week. And if you, listen, if there are things that you're like, man, I, I, I don't know that I've ever really been grounded or rooted in God's Word. Come on Sunday morning, open the book with us. And let's, let's read it verse by verse, line by line. Consider it together. Talk through it. And begin to apply it. And be sunk deep in doctrine so that you're not tossed to and fro. God's given gifted people to equip the saints. Leaders multiply ministry. Members reach maturity. Third, the church enjoys unity. The church enjoys unity. In verses 1 to 6, just before he speaks of each being given a measure of grace as a gift from God, and just before he speaks of gifted leaders being given to the church for her maturity in Christ, Paul speaks of the unity of the church. Let me remind you of what he says in verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all love, or I'm sorry, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to. That one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 he says. In fact, the heading in, the, in my Bible, maybe in yours as well, it says the unity of the church. That's what Paul's driving at there. It's because when the church, listen, as the church is being built up, as the church is being served, members are reaching maturity, leaders are multiplying ministry, equipping, we're growing in discernment, needs are being addressed because I'm not just looking at myself, but I'm looking at others around me. When the church's needs are being met, people are being taught, counseled, cared for, and equipped. No one is lacking, no one's lagging or falling through the cracks. And the church is maturing in humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And the result is this, is that the unity of the church, the unity of the Spirit is being maintained. 
So the church enjoys unity as the bond of peace gets, gets sticky. And then finally, finally, Jesus gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory. See, listen, church, it's ultimately Jesus who is bringing about the maturity and growth that He desires in His bride and in His body. See, Jesus is working through gifted leaders to teach. He's working through gifted leaders to counsel, care, plan, organize, administrate, care, uh, equip. But it's ultimately Jesus who's bringing about the maturation. Now let me show you that from the text. In verses 15 and 16. I'll read it to you again. It says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, listen, there's all kinds of subordinate phrases in there, right? If you look in the Bible, it's like comma, 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 right? But if you, under, if you, if you seek through some of the subordinate clauses and phrases, I want you to, this is what I want you to see this morning. We could spend all kinds of time digging deeply into this, okay? But this is what I want you to see this morning. When Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, and then if you put a bracket right there, where all these, these subordinate clauses and phrases come in, and then you put another bracket after when each part is working properly, and you read it this way, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, joined and held together, um, I'm sorry, Grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, dot, 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 makes the whole body grow, that it builds itself up in love. It is the head, Christ, who is making the body grow, so that the body builds itself up in love. See, Jesus is the one who is giving the growth. It comes from Him through those that He has ordained, called, and equipped. Make sense? That it's not coming from me. It is not coming from our elders. It is not coming from our staff. It is not coming from our deacons. It may be coming through us, but it is coming from Him. And listen, one of the resounding refrains of all the Bible is this. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says it brilliantly when he says that when God says through Isaiah that he will not share his glory with another, with no one. And so listen, the one who is giving the growth is the one who gets the glory. You see that over and over again in Paul's letters. And I'm going to press into it a little bit here in a second. I'll tell you what we need to do with this. But it's the one who gives the growth, church, that gets the glory. So leaders multiply ministry. Members reach maturity. The church enjoys unity and Jesus gets the glory as those that God has gifted to serve the church, equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what do we do with this? I've got five minutes left. Let me give you three things. See, I tell you, I got five points, but I sneak another three in there. I'm crafty like that. All right, so three things. First of all, listen, please, whatever you do, do not exalt leaders. 
Paul says it this way in the book of Corinthians. I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's talking about the division, dissension that exists within the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was messed up. Okay? So what you had in their day is similar to what you have in our day with celebrity pastors. Okay? See, the advent of the internet in the 90s created this phenomenon of celebrity pastors where you've got these leaders whose ministries three decades before would have been never heard of or never known to the people three towns over, but now they know of because of podcasts and because of video. And so as a result, everyone's podcasting their favorite pastor. There's nothing wrong with listening to other sermons. I hope that you would. But listen, what it creates is a culture of celebrity pastors who ultimately, and, and that's a scary place to be because the glory, it's, it's, it's very easy to begin to look at those whom God has worked powerfully through and say it's coming from them. All right, so listen, don't exalt leaders. Paul says to the church in Corinth, listen, he says, who is Apollos? Who is Cephas? Who am I? But servants, not celebrities. We're just servants of the church. And so we show up to serve the church in ways that God has equipped us to serve the church. So don't exalt leaders. Don't misplace your faith in a particular leader, a particular pastor. Listen, please. Please do not exalt the people who fill this pulpit. We are merely servants. It may be coming through, but it's not coming from. Second thing. Second thing I would say, while we don't exalt leaders, here's what I would encourage you to do, is to encourage those equipping you. Encourage those equipping you. Now, this may sound completely (laughs) self-serving to some of you may sound incredibly self-serving to some of you, but here's what I want to say. I will not always be the pastor of this church. Now listen, my wife and I have no plans to go anywhere. We would love to see our kids graduate from high school here. We would love to see them go off to college, come home, come back to this community, and back to this church whenever they visit on the weekends, assuming they go someplace close enough to visit on the weekends. But listen, we have a desire to be here long term, unless God were to send us somewhere else. But that's possible. It's possible for God to open a door of ministry for us elsewhere and move us on. It's also possible that one day I would die in this pulpit. Okay? Preach my last sermon, breathe my last breath, and y'all can bury me once somewhere. All right? And I'll go to be with the Lord. But I will not always be the pastor of this church. And so what I'm saying to you right now will serve whoever comes after me. You know who else it'll serve? It'll serve those deacons who are right now organizing, ministering the life of this church. It will serve those elders who are helping to counsel and care for the flock. It will serve those people who are teaching Bible study on Sunday mornings. Those who fill this pulpit. So it's not self-serving. Listen, I'm trying to build you up. Because there is a reality. There's a reality. Okay, And the reality is this. Is that, listen, those who are equipping you Those who are equipping you at times. I don't know if you recognize this or not. Those of you who have been in ministry, you know exactly what I'm thinking. 
but in which you get dry and you get weary and you don't see much fruit and you don't see much progress and you see people stuck and you're wondering, God, is anything that I'm doing making any kind of difference? Are you working through me at all? I know it doesn't come from me. It comes from you. But are you using me in any kind of way? And listen, whenever you step up to encourage another that God has appointed as a leader in your life, in the life of your local church, by saying, hey, the sermon that you preached, here's what God did. Here's what He began to cut out of me. Here's what He exposed. Here's ways that He encouraged me. Okay? And, and, and listen, let me just, I'm going to get real practical this morning. That's more, if it's just shaking the hand at the door and saying, hey, great message. That's, one, that's good. But listen, go a little deeper and and, and encourage those who preach and teach with the things that God is teaching you through them. It's coming from Him through them to you. So encourage them in that way. If you see a deacon who is knocking it out of the park in their area of service, they are organizing things and making clear pathways for people to be involved. Encourage them in that service. If you see someone who is just like, they never met a stranger, they're so hospitable, they greet people well, they draw them into relationships they connect them in the life of the church, then encourage that in them. Because they may be wondering, is any, any hand that I'm shaking, is any conversation that I'm having, is it doing anything? If you were received well whenever you walk through the doors of this church, encourage those who serve on the hospitality team. If you're being blessed by the music that we sing that is saturated with the words of the Bible, that is saturated with the gospel of Jesus, then encourage those who organize, plan, and execute the music that's being sung in our church. Encourage those who are equipping you. And then third, third, Help establish new leaders. Establish new leaders. Listen, as, as we enter into this new year in 2020, one of, the th one of the goals that our elders had as we moved into ministry in 2020 was to see some new deacon roles be onboarded here in the life of our church. As I've said before, our deacons are not a board that meet together. Our deacons are task-specific servants who accomplish very specific areas of ministry in the life of our church. They organize teams to do those things. And there are four areas that we would love to see some focused attention given to and people onboarded to serve in deacon roles in the life of our church. One is a deacon of prayer who would help facilitate a holistic prayer ministry in the life of our church. Not that our elders would no longer give attention to prayer, not that our elders will no longer pray for the needs in our body, but seeing those who have a passion for prayer and a heart for prayer able to gather in an organized way with someone who's facilitating that and come and cry out to God on behalf of the needs within our body for those who feel comfortable sharing those outside of our elders. To cry out for the needs in the life of our church. Even as Dane prayed this morning. God would you give us focused clarity on where the needs are in our city. That our church can leverage toward. Right? They would cry out for needs globally with our mission partners. They would cultivate, help cultivate a relationship with God. Maybe through monthly nights of prayer. Or they would help contribute to our quarterly prayer services. Right? But a deacon of prayer. But also... Also, a deacon of member safety. One of the things we've recognized as elders is that as our church grows, 
and our presence here becomes more widely known, there could be people who would come into this building with nefarious intentions. You like that word, don't you? Nefarious intentions to do harm. And rather than looking back saying, we should have, we want to look forward saying, what shall we do to prepare for something like that should it show up at our doorstep? And so we need a deacon of member safety who's going to help establish emergency protocols, working with law enforcement officers, EMTs, right? How are we going to respond? How are we going to equip and train our kids' ministry volunteers and leaders? Who's going to be a part of that scheduling process? So a deacon of member safety. Third, third, a deacon of media. Deacon of Media. Listen, I, I want to say from the outset how appreciative I am of Brian Rose Ministry among us for his willing, his, his, uh, <laughs> every time something comes up, he's like, I could probably do that. I could probably, do that. and he continues to take on things, right? So he's giving leadership to our student ministry. He organizes and plans our services. He gives leadership to our adult groups ministry. He's able to spearhead the renew classes and schedule those. And listen, as his plate gets fuller and our ministry continues to develop here, there are some things that need to be pulled off of his plate so he can give attention to focus on developing those other areas. And listen, all of the troubleshooting of the media stuff here, the projection stuff, the sound stuff, all of the audio-video production that takes place to record our services and make those available, listen, those could be owned by someone other than him as a deacon of media who would be able to give focused attention to that, to schedule those volunteers, equip those volunteers, train those volunteers to see that, that area continue to develop as he gives attention to developing other areas of responsibility that are on his plate. And then fourth, this is one that already exists, but will be vacated shortly as Brian and Amber Harvey are planning, uh, the Lord opened a door for them to move to Germany for 19 months um, on a government contract over there. And so they're going to be leaving us at the end of this month through September of 2021. And who knows where the Lord's going to take them after that. They may come back here, they may not, but they have been faithfully serving as our deacons of local missions and outreach. And so we need to find someone to step into that role as they step out and move where the Lord is leading them. Somebody to organize teams to serve the community around us and help us identify maybe one of those needs that we can step into in our community as a church. And so this morning, we want to open nominations for those four, four, I gave you three, four deacon roles. Prayer, member safety, media, and outreach. There are nomination forms at the information kiosk in the back there under that television um, that has a list of the, the texts we'd ask you to read, the prayers we'd ask you to pray, the considerations we'd like you to make, and then a place to nominate someone within our congregation for one of those four areas of service. And we'd ask you to do that between now and March 7th. March 7th, we're going to close the nomination process. Our elders will follow up with those who have been nominated. And our hope would be by the end of March to be able to bring candidates before you at the table whenever we gather again on March 29th to be voted on as deacons in those areas of responsibility so they can begin their work of helping to organize, administrate, facilitate, plan, and build teams to do practical ministry in the life of our church. So don't exalt 
leaders. Encourage those who are equipping you and help establish new leaders by engaging in the process with us. So that ministry can be multiplied, we can be mature, we can be unified, and Jesus can get all the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we confess that we would be lost apart from it. Father, without your revelation to us, to which there can be no addition or subtraction, without your revelation to us, Father, we're just shooting in the dark. And so, Father, help us to continue to reform our practices, reform our understandings around your word, that we would no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But, Father, we'd, be, we'd have stable moorings and anchors that would hold us firm in the midst of prevailing cultural winds that would push us away from Jesus. It would push us away from truth. Father, I pray that the leaders of this church, I thank you for them. I thank you that you've given us men and women who are able to serve in a variety of capacities. Father, you've given us gifted elders who are able to teach. You've given us gifted deacons who are able to administrate and organize and facilitate. And Father, I pray as we look to add to that number, I pray, God, that you would superintend the process, that we'd be sensitive to you, that we'd bring these potential candidates before you in prayer, that we'd weigh those out. I pray that they'd be qualified individuals who are willing to step into areas of service so that our church, our church might continue to develop and become more and more and more of a mature body of Christ. Father, we pray that as you work through us, that we would always be mindful of the fact that the work comes from you and that we would be quick to give you the glory and not receive it for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.